Coucou. Welcome to the Boxing Fanatic Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Matias, and with me is my co-host for today, Ryan O'Hara, who is um, senior writer of uh, FightNights.com. Ryan, what's going on? Not much, man. Just um, hanging out at the apartment, enjoyed the fights last night, and probably going to catch some racing today, but uh, obviously we got a, a packed show ahead of us. All right, sounds good. Let's get started. So let's get started with uh, Showtime's card yesterday, and we'll get started with the main event and uh, Deontay Wilder and uh, and Luis Ortiz. Um, the final uh, outcome of that fight was uh, Wilder uh, TKO in the tenth round over Luis Ortiz. Um, what were the scorecards? I think uh, why they had Wilder up eighty six to eighty five. I think it was eighty five eighty four in all three. Okay. Um, I had that too, but I had Ortiz up 85-84. And there was a big controversy on Twitter. People saying it was it was fixed to be a robbery because Wilder was up 85-84. But really, one point off, um, I don't really see uh, the, the controversy in that. Um, I had Ortiz winning, but um, we all knew coming in that Deontay Wilder has that one-punch knockout power. And a lot of people talked about um, that right hand um, that put Ortiz down. That wasn't... That punch didn't. Um, that punch didn't cause the problems. Though what happened when when Wilder was on the ropes, he came back that counter right hand where they both landed at the same time, and Ortiz froze on the ropes. That's what hurt him. Ortiz momentar- was momentarily stunned and stood on the ropes, and that's when you saw Wilder lunge in. The cameras didn't catch it right away. the The camera was a little bit you know, off to the side, and then you saw Wilder lunge forward, and he didn't see Ortiz because the camera was off. But that's when Ortiz got hurt initially, and then with within about ten to fifteen seconds, uh, that's when Ortiz hit the canvas. Yeah, I uh, I I scored the fight. Uh, I had it eighty six to eighty three uh, for Luis Ortiz. I scored um, the seventh round, a ten eight round for Luis Ortiz. I'm completely shocked that uh, Wilder didn't even go down. Um, I mean, it just shows you the you know the chin that the type of chin that he has, and you know the type of heart that Wilder has. Um, as as flawed as technically flawed as uh, as Deontay Wilder's and and I think it was pretty evident that you know throughout the span of that fight Luis Ortiz's amateur background really kicked in and and you really saw how good of a of a of a boxer Luis Ortiz is and a good counterpuncher too I mean he he sat there right in the pocket with uh, Deontay Wilder and uh, was willing to to you know not only trade with Wilder but you know just you know, brave enough to stand in the pocket and, and you know, be susceptible to Wilder's right hand. Um, I, I, I give credit to Luis Ortiz. You know, he, he made uh, he made Wilder miss a lot. You know, he uh, he certainly countered those right uh, those right hands with his own left hands. And, and that's what created, uh, you know, the problems for Deontay Wilder. But, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good fight. Um, I'm not sure where we go from here. Um you know, I saw Eddie Hearn in an interview this week, you know, last week, uh, you know, saying that he doesn't think that he can make a, a Wilder fight next, and he's already talking about Big Baby Miller. 
I think that would be a mistake. I think uh, Big Baby Miller is a legitimate threat to Anthony Joshua and to anyone in the heavyweight division. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that think uh, Big Baby Miller could possibly defeat Anthony Joshua. He's a powerful puncher. He's ranked number three in the WBA. So I think um, the best bet for Joshua, uh, if he beats Parker, I think he will beat Parker. But he's, um, Parker's no bum either. No, uh, I no. So you got you got to take a smaller fight. Um, we've we've seen fighters before take big fights before the biggest fight of their lives, and it's been a mistake. And so I think Anthony Joshua fighting Big Baby Miller could possibly delay the Wilder fight even longer. Look, I I think you know I like Big Baby Miller. Do I think he's at the top at, at, as elite as maybe Wilder and 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 Joshua? Probably not. But you know you know I think Big Baby Miller still needs to have you know these certain fights under his belt you know maybe fight someone like um i don't know brian jennings or alexander povetkin you know keep, keep him active you know keep him fighting you know you know more names like that in the heavyweight division um at this point there's there's really nothing else to wait for a potential wilder and joshua fight if if joshua can get past uh uh joseph parker on march 31st you know i, I think you know maybe early August, um, you know, could be a, a big fight. Wherever wherever they, they decide to make that fight, whether if it's going to be in Vegas or in uh, in Wembley Stadium, you know, it's, you know, the, there's nothing else for, for these two heavyweights to prove. You know, after these uh, after these opponents, you know, these guys are, um, you know, everybody else in the heavyweight division, you know, could wait. So um, I, it, it's, the, it's the biggest fight in boxing to make right now. And, um, you know, I'm hoping... You know Al Heyman and you know Eddie Hearn can can come to an agreement um, into making a, a fight in, in in late summer. I think there's a possibility that the fight will be in Vegas, but more than likely it's going to be at Wembley Stadium in England. I think Anthony Josh was comfortable fighting in England. Uh, I think anybody in his position would be comfortable fighting in his home country. I uh, sold eighty thousand tickets for placing an opponent and like ninety thousand for Klitschko. Um, but I think the concern for Wilder fighting in England is that I think we all we, we all have seen this and a lot of people are, un, are uncomfortable talking about it. But referees in England are notorious for stopping fights too early. And we've seen that yes. with Carl Froch and George Groves in the first fight. Um, when Anthony Joshua stops Carlos to come on that last flurry, he didn't land any of those punches and the referee stopped the fight. When he stopped Klitschko in that last flurry, Klitschko was hurt. He's on the ropes. But on that last combination, five to six punch combination, Joshua did not land a single punch and the referee still stopped the fight. So I think for Wilder, he knows that that's a possibility. If he gets hurt, there's a possibility the referee's going to stop the fight within seconds. And that's happened before. Um, Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., probably one of the most notorious incidents when uh, Richard Steele stopped the fight with two seconds left. Um, <laughs> two seconds that Meldrick Taylor could have obviously survived. Um, and... Um, I don't think it would have mattered anyway because the judges had uh, Chavez ahead in the scorecard somehow. So it, either way, Chavez was going to get away with the decision there. So for Wilder, he's got to go in there. He's got to be more aggressive and knock him out, which prevent, which presents a challenge for him too because uh, he gets a little wild. And Anthony Joshua, if he lands a counter uppercut on Wilder, we could see a – it could be a bad knockout, something uh, reminiscent of a um, Julian Williams, Jermel, uh, Jermel Charlo type knockout. But if Wilder can get that right hand in there and stun Joshua, 
while there's this type of guy that doesn't, once he knows that you're hurt, he goes in for the kill. And I think that Wilder has a better chance of knocking out Anthony Joshua than Klitschko did. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point with the with the UK referees. They're very um they're very quick to stop the fights. Uh, one thing you know I, I will say is you know you know like I said earlier is as flawed as you know Deontay Wilder is you know that straight right hand is absolutely lethal and you know it it could either way you know. The fight could happen either way, where Anthony Joshua, you know, can you know can knock out, um, you know, can knock out Deontay Wilder, and and at any moment, you know, just like you know what we saw yesterday, you know, when Luis Ortiz was winning the fight, um, you know, Deontay Wilder could just finish it. So, and I think we lost my co-host. Ryan, are you there? All right, the first technical difficulties in the podcast. All right, what's going on? Alright, so it appears that my internet went to crap, so let's see if I can, let's see if I can get this fixed.
Hello. Hey, what's up, man? Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you, man. Okay. All right. Sorry, the technical difficulties. All right. So, uh, where were we? Um, where were we at? We're talking about Joshua and uh, Wilder, and I was talking about uh, the possibility of both of them knocking him out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, basically self-explanatory. You know, we went through that. Um, all right. So the 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 co-main event is um, was uh, Andre Durrell against uh, Jose Uskataki, and um, that ended in Durrell quitting after the the eighth round. Uh, I think his corner stopped the fight. Um, really a really nice performance by Uskataki. I was really impressed, and um, you know, as far as for Andre Durrell, you know, he's I'm not sure where he goes after this. He's gonna have to go to the drawing board to figure things out. But uh, underwhelming performance for uh, Durrell, and uh, you got to give a lot of credit to. Uh, uh, to Uskataki for you know really uh, sticking it to Durrell and, and really wanting it more. And from what I understand, uh, Andre Durrell is probably going to retire. He told Marcos Villegas after the fight that it's time to it's time to retire. They doesn't have any more. And when I noticed at the beginning of the fight, he was moving around. He was athletic, you know, as usual, and uh, he showed some good defensive capabilities in the first round. But I noticed that he wasn't reacting every time he got hit. He wasn't reacting the same way as in other fights. Um, didn't look like he had the same desire to be in the ring. So I think Virgil Hunter helped him in some ways. But Virgil Hunter can only do so much. He's a great trainer. But if you're training a guy who really doesn't want to be in there and doesn't have the same hunger and desire to uh, go for wins and go for titles, it's not going to work out. And so, you know, Durrell just looks weak. Uh, looked dull in there, and uh, Uskatagi was able to hit him with just about every shot. Um, you know, Durrell would occasionally land a straight left hand, occasionally an overhand left, and then would jab the rest of the way, and Uskatagi was not affected, and, um, you know, it was just, he cursed the win, and um, it sets him up for a big fight with David Benavides, which I think Benavides will win. Um but yeah, I think it's time for Darrell to go. He's he's had a pretty rough career. Uh, he's had some good moments, but um, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, the, uh, a Benavides Uskataki fight would be very interesting. Uh, I think it's an easy fight for Showtime to make. Um, <laughs> hopefully, you know, David Benavides can uh, you know can stay active and 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 fight some you know better upcoming fighters than you know what his counterpart on at top rank at Gilberto Ramirez has been doing. Um, now Eddie Hearn has said that um, Rocky Fielding might be in. Um, it's almost done that the done deal for a June fight between Rocky Fielding and uh, Gilberto Ramirez, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which fight you say? I, I couldn't hear it go through. Uh, Gilberto Ramirez and, and Rocky Fielding. Yeah, I heard that fight's gonna be made, and um, I really think that fight shouldn't be made. It's um, um, Rocky Fielding hasn't been really been active hasn't really been in a big fight in three or four years uh i think that would be easy pickings for for gilberto ramirez and you know i've criticized him a lot lately you know for his um for his uh, choice in competition and that is even uh, that's even worse so you know he's got to step up no it's, it's not i mean he, he has the skills i mean he has the skills he obviously has skills he has talent but you know he's got to step up, and you know Deontay, Deontay Wilder did that last night. He stepped up against Luis Ortiz, 
And I think it's time for Gibraltar Ramirez to do the same thing. Yeah, it's looking like we're not going to see him in, in a real competitive fight until at least the fall of, uh, until the end of the year. Um, you know, kudos to top rank for, you know, keeping him active, which is something they should do. But he de he definitely needs to step up, you know. Um, I, I never thought Jesse Hart was a, a was an elite fighter, but um, I did think that was a, a good, solid fight for him. Um, you know, but, you know, Habiba Mad and then Rocky Fielding, you know, that's just underwhelming, you know, opponents. So um, they need to they need to get him you know some better fight uh, some better fights in that. All right, uh, moving on to the HBO card, we have um, uh, Dimitri Bivol who defeated uh, Sullivan Barrera by a twelfth round knockout. Uh, Ryan, what was your uh, thoughts on uh, Bivol's fight? Bivol is the real deal. Uh, he faced one of the top under seventy five pounders in the division and just completely annihilated him. Uh, he connected on 31% of his punches. Barrera hardly landed anything. He landed 12% of his punches. Um, I mean, Barrera was completely outclassed. I think the, the, the most effective thing he did in that fight was a headbutt in the second round that caused a cut you know, around uh, Bivol's eye, but Bivol came right back. Uh, he's got great speed, accuracy, uh, great footwork, ring IQ. Um, he's the real deal. And... Um, I think it's. I think the next fight we're gonna see, we're not gonna see it right away because I don't think Sergey Kovalev is um, ready for this fight. Uh, but Dmitry Bivol versus Sergey Kovalev is a fight that we're probably gonna see at some point, but uh, not immediately. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a big fight, and I probably we'll probably won't see that until like maybe November um, on HBO because it, it doesn't appear that they're gonna be fighting right away uh, next. Um, but I do like Bevel. Um, you know, he's he, he's he's young. He's he's young for the division. Um, he's on his way up, and you know, he just looks like a, a crafty veteran already with only you know thirteen fights under his belt. Um, you know, it, it's really going to be interesting to see um, how that whole light heavyweight division plays out since Andre Ward has uh, retired. Um, but it, it's. I, I like the division. It's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the only problem is, is there's still there's still some type of universal um, gaps, you know, for some of these fights to get made. Uh, you got guys like you know Marcus Brown, you know Badu Jack, and Elder Alvarez. Not uh, not to mention uh, Adonis Stevenson on Showtime. And then you know it's looking like you have you know Alexander Volstic and Archer Better Beev on ESPN and. You know, Sergey Kovalev and Dmitry Bivol on HBO. So, um, you know, ho hopefully Volstek gets his opportunity to, um, uh, you know, to, to fight the winner between Jack and, and Stevenson. Uh, you know, but, you know, there's only so much these sanctioning bodies can do, and it's, it's really up to these promoters, you know, to get, uh, you know, these fights done. I think I think the next thing we should see for the 175 pound division, and this is a great opportunity for it, is a World Boxing Super Series at 175 pounds. You have uh, way too many guys um, in this division that are just red hot uh, and are deserving of title shots, as you mentioned. The leader Alvarez, Badu Jack, um, Adonis Stevenson is still the top of his game, but I think it's time for it. It's going to be time for him to retire. He's what is he? 40, almost 41 years old now. Yep. He'll have one or two more fights, and then it's going to be too dangerous for him to be in there. He's going to have to, um, you know, step aside and um, allow some of these younger dogs to take over. You know, it, it, this 
division is a little bit similar to the featherweight division when you have guys, some of these guys that haven't fought each other yet. Um, you know, like Gary Russell Jr., who's been very inactive. Uh, he hasn't fought, uh, you know, you know, he hasn't fought, you know, Abner Morris, or he he hasn't fought uh, Leo Santa Cruz, uh, Carl Frampton either. Um, you know, Oscar Valdez. Um, he's fighting Scott Quigg, but I mean, you know, who knows if, if he'll be able to get you know some of these uh, these Al Heyman guys too. You know, that's another division which you know would benefit from the you know World Boxing Super Series because. Um, you know, you could just have all these guys, you know, fight and see which one really is the best. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, promotional companies and, you know, egos come into play into making these fights. And, and not only that, but network deals as well. So, you know, as long as, you know, you have guys like, you know, you know, from the PVC and, and, and top rank, you know, having these, you know, these guys um, in certain divisions, you know, I, I don't see these guys... Um, you know, uh, participating in some of these uh, World Boxing Super Series. And going back to Adonis Stevenson, he hasn't been in a big fight. And I mean, I mean, he's won. He's, of course, he's been undefeated uh, since getting knocked out by Boone in 2010. But after he knocked out Dawson, he had about three fights that were like, okay, you know, these are good, solid um, fights, good defenses. He fought uh, Tavores Cloud. He fought Tony Bellew. He fought... Uh, Fun Farah, but ever ever since, every fight that he's been in has not really been of world title class. So Dmitry Satoski, not really a world title, not really a world class fighter. Saki Obika, kind of borderline above a French contender, but not quite a title contender. Tommy Carpensi outboxed Chad Dawson. I don't really think I merited a fight with Stevenson because Dawson's been, you know out of the loop for some time. Thomas Williams Jr. Uh, was um, you know, a good amateur boxer, moved up, really wasn't ready for a title shot. And I think that fight absolutely ruined him because ever <laughs> in back-to-back fights, Thomas Williams Jr. has been knocked out brutally uh, ever since getting knocked out um, by Adonis Stevenson. And now Adonis Stevenson is having his first really, really challenging fight in about four years. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals uh, with Badu Jack. But another thing you got to keep in mind, Badu Jack got knocked out by Derek Edwards. He's also shitty. So it's going to be a very, very interesting fight. Yeah, Stevenson Stevenson certainly, you know, hasn't faced murderous roles since jumping up uh, ship to Showtime. Uh, But I I am looking forward to this fight. And, um, you know, whoever wins this fight, I think, you know, uh, Alexander Volstick, you know, if that, if, you know, both parties can make that fight is is a solid uh uh you know is is a solid opponent for you know either winner of that fight you know so I think it's it's time for you know Alexander Volstead to get his shot uh you know he had opportunities to face uh, Elder Alvarez and Marcus Brown you know both guys wound up turning those fights down so you know it, it's unfortunate that you know Volstead hasn't you know fought the level of competition that he's wanted to uh but that's not entirely his fault you know there you know there were appropriate you know ways for those fights to get made by the sanctioning bodies and you know unfortunately for you know guys like Alvarez and Brown you know those those you know fights didn't work out so well um all right and then the main event on HBO we had uh Sergey Kovalev uh defeating uh Igor Mikalkin um I was actually a little bit surprised at um at Mikalkin's boxing ability um he didn't have 
that much power, but um, he certainly was able to land some a few shots on Kovalev throughout the fight. Yeah, you know, he's got some skill. He landed a few straight left hands that knocks Kovalev back, uh, but he just doesn't have that much power. And, um, you know, Kovalev easily disposed of him, uh, which didn't co- doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, really wasn't a challenging fight. And honestly, I think it's shameful that the... That the uh, WBO even allowed, you know, Kovalev to even fight uh, Shabransky for a world title. That was not a world title fight. I'm sorry. Uh, that is, <laughs> no, I um, agree. Coming, coming I, off the knockout to Andre Ward, and you can talk all about the low blows. Ward landed two low blows. Kovalev recovered from it. Kovalev landed a few fouls. Ward recovered from it. Ward hit him with a big right hand that sent him into Queer Street. And guess what? The penis is not in the head. So I got, I'm just saying that right hand is what caused uh, the end for Kovalev, not the low blows. It's all a bunch of excuses. Um, it, it, it gets a little bit irritating. You know, Kovalev came into the first ward fight, 228 pounds, smoking cigarettes and drinking vodka. So we can talk all about how, oh, I overtrained, I overtrained. No, he wasn't taking care of his body. That's what caused the problems um, in, in the last few years for, for Sergey Kovalev. Now, Glad to see him, you know, back in the sport and winning. But Shabransky, McCalkin, these are not world class fighters. Uh, it's time for Kovalev to step up again. Yeah, and and I agree a hundred percent. The the one thing I'll say about uh, Kovalev and and the the two types of matchups that he's uh that he's fought, um, especially with the uh, McCalkin right there, you know, main events. Offered uh, Barrera the uh, the fight for Kovalev, and and I thought that would have been a decent fight for Kovalev, um, you know. But unfortunately for Sullivan Barrera, he turned down more money to face uh, Sergey Kovalev to uh, to take less money and face Dmitry Bivol. So um, you know, and everybody else in the division seemed to be uh, preoccupied, um, you know. But I, I but I mean, it, yeah, it, it's definitely time for you know. Sergey Kovalev to see, you know, to, you know, get better fights in. Uh, he's got, you know, two fights in now after that Andre Ward, you know, loss. And, um, you know, hopefully main events could give him, <clears throat> can get him a, a solid competitive fight uh, for his next fight. All right, so moving on to next week on on Showtime at, in San Antonio, we have Sergey Lipinets against Mikey Garcia uh, for Lipinets, uh IBF belt. Um... I think this is a, a solid fight. I, you know, I, I, I would have liked to see Garcia fight, you know, Linares, um, but Mikey Garcia decided to make a, a business decision and apparently get more money to fight Lipinets, which um, it is for a belt. So, you know, I can't knock him off completely for that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but Ryan, he he said that he wants to go down to one thirty five and and maybe secure a fight with Linares if uh if if top rank and Golden Boy can't make a fight with uh, Linares and Lomachenko. Uh, and then he said he wants to go fight Errol Spence at 147 at the end of the year. Um, I'm not sure, you know, this is, I feel like to me, this is where I, I um, you know, having a good manager on your side helps you out. Because I, I'm not sure what he's going to accomplish, you know, from going down to dropping to weight. To 135 and then you know going two weight classes up to fight you know one of the baddest guys in the division 
I, I think Mikey Garcia is doing what Floyd Mayweather did back around 2003. He's barking. He's yelling his name out there uh, to get attention for himself. And that's not a bad thing. You know, fighters do that all the time to get bigger fights, uh, to get their name more recognized in the general public. Um, Mayweather called out De La Hoya in 2003 for a fight. And at the time, De La Hoya was fighting at 154, was about to move up to 160. There was no way that fight was going to happen. But Mayweather got his name out there by saying, oh, I'd fight De La Hoya. So people started paying attention. Well, well who, who's this Mayweather guy? All right. You know, they started watching him fight and realized, wow, this guy's got some skill. And so, of course, that fight didn't happen for about four years because De La Hoya was too big. And then he got knocked out by Hopkins. And he came back 20 months later to fight Mayorga, and then that set up the Mayweather fight. So with Mikey Garcia saying he's going to fight, you know, Errol Spence at, you know, at 147, that's just not realistic. And so people got to look at that with a grain of salt. Be like, he's probably just yelling his name out there to get attention for himself. And in regards to the Lipinets uh, fight, you know, this is an easy pickings fight for Garcia. I think he saw less of a challenge and more money moving by moving up to 140 to fight Lipinets. And I don't think that Lipinets is a world-class fighter yet. I know he was fought, he fought Akihiro uh, Kondo for the IBF title um, last November. But as uh, Mike Coppinger of The Ring um, said last year, and we both agreed on this, a lot of times in boxing, you know, titles are, are meaningless because the fights that we put together for world titles just aren't of that caliber. Lipinets versus Kondo is just not a world title type of fight. And I don't think Lipinets has really developed into that fighter yet. And Mikey Garcia is definitely um, on the top of the echelon, at least uh, in pound for pound. And I think that it's going to be a one-sided fight. I don't know if it's, if Garcia is going to knock him out. I haven't really seen Lipinets get tested uh, power-wise, but um, we'll see. But either way, I think this is going to be a, a cruising session for Mikey Garcia. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think, you know, I think Mikey, you know, winds up handling Lipinets. Um How easy he's able to do it, um, you know, will only be telling uh, when we see the fight next week. Uh, but I certainly, you know, I certainly would like to see Mikey make, you know, a rash decision on what he wants to do next for his career. Um, either, you know, stay at 140, you know, try to get all the belts at 140, or, you know, go back down and see if he can unify down there as well, too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure, you know, what jumping, you know, around all the time is, is going to do for, you know, for his career. And I agree. Um, I think, you know, just putting names on, on your career um, is a lot more, you know, it shows better for your resume than, you know, just winning titles because, you know, like you said, I mean, he, here you have guys like Adrian Broner who was, you know, a four-time, you know, division champion in four different weight classes. Um, you know, but then again, on hindsight, look at some of the guys that he's, you know, he's fought and, and, and beaten for those titles. So, you know, Certainly, you know, winning a world title, uh, winning a world title is, is is important, and, and and it shows, you know, that you're, you know, you're at one of the top and one of the best in the divisions. But, you know, it it also depends on you know who you fight and who you win and and how you win as well too. 
Absolutely. And um, another fight I'd like to see is uh, Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter. That was actually a fight that was rumored. Um, well, it actually was in the works, um, but the, apparently the money wasn't right. And, um, you know, Easter moved on and uh, so did Mikey Garcia. And honestly, um, you know, Easter has been looking, he's been getting touched a lot in his last few fights. And I think that uh, that could come back to affect him later on. He's uh, still a young guy. So, you know, you got to keep a, keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I, I think you can make a legitimate argument for Robert Easter's last two fights, um, you know, to have him losing both those fights. You know, I was looking for, you know, in, in, in Easter's last fight, I was looking to see if, if you know, if, if we... If he could jump the ship and and prove that he is, you know, he can be as as good as he's advertised by making the uh, you know the the right and appropriate adjustment uh, adjustments, you know, but he wasn't able to do that and and it showed in his last fight. Um, so it, you know, to me, Robert Easter Jr. is he is what he is. He's you know he's a you know tall, lengthy you know boxer and you know and the um. You know, in the in the in the you know what lightweight division, um, but he you know he he doesn't take advantage of his height advantage, and he doesn't take advantage of his reach advantage. Um, you know, he he's he's susceptible to you know being hit and and being you know forced into you know phone booth type of fights, and that's just not where he's really good at. You know, he's he should be you know. Mastering, you know, the uh, boxing, you know, the way he he can with his reach and his height advantage, um, you know, but unfortunately, that's just, just not the case. All right, in the uh, co-main event of that fight, we have Francis Bartholomew against uh, Kirlin Re uh, Relic uh, for the WBA Junior Welterweight Title. Um, this is actually a fight I can see Mikey Garcia taking next too. Against Francis? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be a good fight for him. I don't think it's going to be a popular fight. Uh, I don't think a lot of people really um, know who Rancis is because he hasn't really been as active in, in recent years. Um, but I think what Mikey is really looking for, I think he's looking for a fight that's going to propel him to the next level. So... You know, maybe a Miguel Cotto type of fight. You know, you need to fight fight a name. So we're probably he's probably thinking in the future. Uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, when he's talking about Errol Spence, he's not going to fight him at the end of the year. There's no way. No. Um, but in two years, maybe three years, that fight can happen. He could win that fight, and that could propel him to an all-time great um, type of status um, or great status. I think all-time great is a little bit of a jump, but. That's the fight he's looking for. I don't know if he's going to get any of those fights this year. Um, I mean, at the least, Terrence Crawford at 147. I think that's the first guy he wants to go after. Um, you know, I, I think he would beat Rancis. I don't think he would do much for his career. He would add, you know, one more victory in his resume. But other than that, it really wouldn't do much. He's looking for the bigger fight. And he's thinking bigger picture, and which is what he needs. And, you know, a fighter like Mikey, fighters like Mayweather, they think big picture. They think, we're gonna, I'm going to leave Bob Arum. Mayweather leaving Bob Arum. I'm going to become my own boss. And I'm going to make my own decisions. And I think Mikey Garcia leaving top rank um, 
you know, young, like Mayweather did, was a great decision. And I think it's only going to benefit him going forward. He's going to get the fights he wants. And if he doesn't like what's being offered, he goes on. He moves on. And that's exactly what he should do. Yeah. Um, it, leaving, um, I I'm, I'm definitely wasn't opposed to him leaving top rank. The thing, the thing I feel like you have to definitely do is, is, and I think he's doing a little bit about that right now, is, you know, you have to, when you leave a big, you know, promoter like, like top rank, you know, um, you certainly have to know how to promote yourself. Um, and I, I do see him, you know, doing a lot of, you know, interviews, you know, um, you know, with guys, you know, these, these big YouTube guys that do, uh, you know, with fight hype, uh, fight hub TV, you know, and then I see him doing some podcasts, you know, and in radio shows. And so, so he, he is putting his name out there. Um, you know, now at this point, it, it's going to be all up to, to him on, you know, what fights, um, you know, what fights, you know, he's going to wind up taking next. You know, like I said, I, I like to see him, you know, stay put in one division. Um, even if he decides to stay at 140, you know, stay at 140 and just, you know, try to clean it out. You know, just try to fight all the, you know, all the best fighters he can at 140. Uh, and then in a couple, in a year or two, you know, if, he, if he's done, you know, if he's done that, you know, move up to welterweight and then, you know, make a name for yourself right there. I think that's probably the best. Yes. That's probably the best solution That's that he exactly can do. What he needs to do. That's exactly what he needs to do. All right. So, um, along with uh, that fight on Showtime on, on ESPN, we have uh, uh, at the StubHub Center we have Oscar Valdez against Scott Quigg uh, for Valdez's WBO uh, featherweight title. And um, I like this fight. I think it's a it's a good step up fight for Oscar Valdez. Uh, you know, Scott Quigg hasn't been um, you know. A fighter to to always fight in the featherweight division. He's just moved up recently, um, you know. But it's just it, it's four pounds, and you know Valdez isn't a huge featherweight either. So um, I think this could be you know this could isn't it makes for a pretty good compelling fight. That's gonna be a tough fight for him. You know uh, Scott Quigg's a guy that likes to come forward. Um, you can get a little bit reckless at times, but honestly, so can Valdez. Valdez leaves himself open for big counters constantly. And he yeah. hasn't really faced a lot of guys that, you know, been able to challenge him, um, you know, in that regard. And, and Quiggs, again, Quiggs, that type of guy who likes to come forward and just put guys on their butt. And I think that uh, Valdez has got to look out. This, this is the type of fight, a good step-up fight, but it's also a very dangerous fight. Uh, Quiggs has been training hard with Freddie Roach. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a good chance that somebody's – not going to make it the distance. No, and you're completely right about Oscar Valdez. I mean, I, I like the I like the kid. You know, he's got um, you know, he's he's pretty explosive. Um, you know, but certainly, you know, in his previous fights against Miguel Mariaga uh, and Genesis Cervania, you could it, it shows that you know he's you know as as explosive and 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 nice looking um, as he is, he's definitely you know susceptible to counter punches, and 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 it showed with those those two previous fights. Um, so I, I'm hopefully, you know, you know, we get a pretty good fight and, and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm expecting. I'm expecting a, a pretty good fight between, uh, uh, Valdez and Quig. Um, I think Quig will have to, um, uh, Quig will have to have a better start, um, in this type, in this fight than he did versus, uh, Carl Frampton the first time around.
I think we lost our co-host again. I'm back. All right, that was a little mix up. Yeah, so I was saying that um, I think for, for this fight, I think uh, uh, Scott Quick definitely needs to um, just get into a better start than you know than the previous start he had in his previous fight with um, with Carl Frampton. You know that that was a good fight, but it seemed like Scott Quigg, uh you know didn't start fast enough, and he's definitely gonna have to you know start you know a lot more quicker this time around when he fights uh, Oscar Valdez. Also, got to realize that Oscar Valdez is fighting in his backyard. And, uh, you know, I had Valdez beating Cervania, but it was not a 119-1-whatever score no, it was. No, I had a 115-111, and Cervania scored that knockdown early in the fight. Um, but, yeah, that's that's something that's got to be that's gotta be in the back of Quick's mind. He's fighting in hostile territory. He's going to get booed like crazy going into that ring. He's going to keep make sure to keep his mind straight, focus on on uh, the task at hand and that's beating Valdez. He's gonna he's gonna I think he might have to knock him out. He might have to just go in there and put him on his butt a few times. Um or just flat knock him out senseless because uh <laughs> unfortunately, you know, we hate to say it, but it's it's an inconvenient truth. But judges in boxing stink, uh for the most part. And um and for the fighters that just means gotta go out there and uh take some risks. Yeah, hopefully we see uh, a knockout in this fight. Um you know, but nevertheless, it's 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 a pretty good competitive fight. Uh, hopefully, this could pave the way of you know uh, the winner between you know Carl Frampton and Nonito Donaire. So um, I think if you know both these two fights, you know the winner of these two fights, you know fight each other later on in the summer. I think that could that could be for another good fight as well. You know, Carl Frampton versus uh, Donaire is going to be an interesting fight. Um, you know, Frampton did not look good in his last fight. He looked bad. Um, Garcia, I thought, won. I had Garcia winning that fight. Of course, one judge had it 98-93, which is an absolute joke. Um, and Frampton was down in that fight, too. So, uh, I'm not, I had no idea how they had that 98-93 uh, score. But, yeah, I mean, I think those two fights with uh, Leo Santa Cruz actually did a lot of damage. Uh, to Carl Frampton on top of the long layoff, it just all combined. And, um, you know, Frampton was moving around and, you know, re really his feet were pretty much glued to the ring and he looked like he was really uncomfortable in there. And Garcia, um, who um, is good friends with uh, Canelo, Canelo actually made it out to that fight. Um, and like, like a lot of us, I thought Garcia beat him. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to be an interesting uh, a fight. Um you know, Frampton does have a lot of options. You know, he could particularly, you know, uh, fight the winner between Valdez and Quig or try to seek out, um, you know, a trilogy with uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, that'll be remain to be seen. But, um, you know, I'm looking forward to both of those two fights coming up as well. All right, let's do um, let's do the March 17th ESPN card because I, I don't think I'll be able to do a, um, a podcast next week. I'll be uh, flying out to Arizona for a few days. Um and in that fight, yep. And um, 
That fight, uh, we have Jose Ramirez against Amir Imam for the vacant uh, WBC Junior Welterweight belt. Um, I thought Ramirez looked really sharp against um, against uh, Mike Reed. Um, I thought that was uh, pretty telling. Um, I, I, I actually, a lot of people wound up picking um, Reed to win that fight, and um, and Ho and uh, Jose Ramirez just went out and, and, and blew him out. So um, I'm interested to see what. Um, you know what he has in store for uh, Amir Imam. You know we all lost. Uh, we all know he's. Uh, you know he, he lost pretty bad in the other fight, but um, I still think that this could be a pretty competitive fight. I think it's going to be a good competitive fight for about the first half. I think um, you know Amir Imam's a, a solid boxer, uh, but that chin uh, and that was tested obviously versus Granados, and um, you know he fell short in that task. Yeah. And Ramirez, I believe he got he got an Olympic. Uh, he's an Olympic uh, medalist. I forget which Olympics he was in at the top of my head. Um, but he was in the Olympics. He's an Olympian. And I actually predicted that he would blow blow Mike Reed out of the water, which he did. Uh, I didn't think he was going to blow him out that fast. I thought he was going to blow him out by the by the fifth round. But um, you know, I just didn't think that Mike Reed had the power to hang with um, Jose Ramirez. You know. Mike Reed's a good boxer, but he doesn't have any power, and that's that's the problem when you don't have power. You got to have a balance in boxing, and uh, when you're a solid when you're a solid boxer and your punches don't affect your opponent, your opponent never never leaves you. Your opponent's always going to be there. Then um, what really impressed me, you know, about Mayweather is even though you didn't have a lot of power, he had that equalizer because he was so good at timing you. And his timing was kind of like a power punch. It kind of just, it kind of stunned you a bit, like to wake you up, like, hey, you know, uh, you know, don't do that I'm right here. Right. Um, and I think that's exactly the kind of fight that Jose Ramirez is going to do. He's going to, he's going to stay on the outside. He's going to make Amir Imam come to him, uh, and Amir Imam's going to come forward, and he's going to get countered. And I think that's what's going to end the fight. It's going to be a counter shot, a right hand, right to the right to the side of the temple, and that's going to set up a stoppage. Um, around the fourth or fifth round. So, and to be honest with you, again, going back to the rankings, there's no reason in hell that Amir Imam should be fighting for a title. <laughs> uh, not until he rematches with Granados. And uh, I know uh, Granado. I thought I got Sean Porter got the win over Granados, but it was a tough fight. And um, you know, uh, Amir Imam, Granados rematch that has to be made. Uh, if anyone you know cares about doing things right in boxing, that fight has to be made. Now if we're gonna give if we're gonna give Imam a shot. You gotta give Granados a shot. Yeah, one fight I actually skipped over um, that's coming up as well is um, is uh, Regis Progreus against uh, Julius Andongo, which I think is actually a pretty good fight as well too. I think it's a great fight for both of them. It's gonna be a dangerous fight for Andongo, especially um, coming off immediately coming off a knockout. You're gonna come against another hard punching um, Progress uh, and Progray. Um, you know, admits that he needs to work a little bit more on defense. I think so, too. He kind of holds his hands down a little too low. Um, but he hasn't faced a fighter that has been able to exploit that yet. Uh, this is going to be a good test for him. If he, can, if he can get past Indongo, I think at some point we're going to see a fight between um, Progray and Terrence Crawford. And those are two, go two guys that are some of the top fighters in the, in the sport. Pro I think Progray is, is, is a top talent. He just hasn't had the opportunity to show that yet. 
you know, to show, to showcase his talent, especially on a, on a major platform like um, like ESPN or Showtime or HBO. But we're going to see that, and I'm telling you, you know, Terrence Crawford won't we'll, we'll tell you, but he at times gets is defensively flawed. He catches a lot of shots flush, yeah. but he has a good chin, and that's the difference. But if Crawford's facing pro grade, what's what's gonna when he gets hit with that power? What's gonna happen? As Mike Tyson said, everybody has a game plan until they get hit. It's, I think that that's gonna be a really great fight uh, down the road. Absolutely. Um, I th I think this is a perfect a perfect fight for uh, pro grade to, to you know to move up, um, you know, and solidify himself as you know one of the best. You know, it, it was either you know. Um, you know, I thought before, you know, before uh, Victor Postal pulled out of the fight, um, I even thought the, the Victor Postal fight was, you know, was a good step up fight for Progre. Um, I think uh, Lou DeBell did a hell of a job by replacing uh, Postal with uh, with Ndongo. Um, you know, we, we've we've seen what a uh, Ndongo ha has, you know, has been able to do since uh, before the Terrence Crawford fight. So Ndongo certainly isn't no joke. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that fight as well too. You know, I was disappointed that, uh, you know, Victor Postol had to pull out with a fractured thumb. Uh, I think that, again, like you said, that would be a terrific step-up fight uh, for Progre because of the the good boxer that Postol is. And Crawford, of course, went in there and, you know, just dismantled him, which to me put Crawford at great level. So a lot of people, they don't um, bump up people until they have beaten somebody, you know, really, really, really good to go to great level. But, you know, from, from watching Postal, a lot of people didn't know who Postal was. I, I had a chance to watch him a few times on television. There were some in person. And when he knocked out Iden, Iden with that shot, I actually told Bruce Trampler ringside in Phoenix that Postal was going to knock out Matisse. Kind of looked at me, and I was like, he's going to knock out Matisse. Guess what he did? Um, <laughs> And uh, so I was right on that, but my prediction was way off. I thought Crawford uh, was going to beat him on, um, on a in a close fight, like a 115-113. <laughs> I was way off, but I was right that Crawford won, though. I'll go with that. Um, so what, did Bruce look at you like you were crazy? And he kind of gave me a questioning look a little bit, but... You know, after that fight, people were like, you know, all you people, and people were t uh, tweeting, and all you people, you know, uh, you were hating on Postal, saying no one knows who he was. And I was like, not me. I told Bruce Trample ringside that he was going to knock him out. And Bruce actually responded, he's like, yes, Ryan, yes, you did. <laughs> That's um, exactly that. All right, so um, we all thought uh, we all thought the Linares and Lomachenko fight was, was dead. Um, you know, that turned out to be um, a huge issue. Um, top rank wanted the fight on May 12th on ESPN. Um, it appears that Golden Boy uh, perhaps was maybe told by, uh, you know, HBO to not let uh, Linares go to ESPN because they didn't want to interfere with the Canelo Golovkin uh, pay-per-view replay. Um, so it looked like that fight was dead until, um, you know, recently it, it turns out that Eric Gomez, you know, have, has reached out to ESPN. Um, you know, Golden Boy does have a, you know, a deal with, with ESPN. Uh, so they're looking like, um, that, that possibly, that fight could possibly happen. Um, the solution was just to, you know, um, you know, move the ESPN, you know, time 
you know, down to accommodate for HBO's uh, pay-per-view replay. I think it makes sense. I mean, um, these kind of issues pop up every now and then. And they're really easy to fix. Um, we, we see these issues pop up in boxing all the time. Uh, and recently, you know, promoters have no issue, you know, running fights in the same days as other fights. And people are like, ah, you know, your attendance was bad. Well, it's not the attendance is bad because you got other promoters running fights in the same day. What, Wilder, the wilder Stavern rematch was on the same day as, you know, George St. Pierre's come back down the street? I mean, that was just the dumb, I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. It's dumb to have that in the same day. George St. Pierre is actually very, very popular amongst the boxing world because, you know, he actually boxes. He has decent boxing skill. Freddie Roach is his boxing coach, for Pete's sake. So, you know, I think um, it is a good move. You know, accommodate for the the replay, which honestly is not a big deal because you know the fights are going to be over by that point. And um, I'm going to say is that I'm going to be I'm going to be really excited to see this rematch. Um, and heck, that might be our next topic here in the show. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to the rematch. Uh, we definitely can talk uh, in depth about it later on when it when it comes down uh, to it. But um, you know. I think um, you know. I've said it before. You know, both both fighters have to have to adjust a bit in order for there to be uh, a clear winner. Um, you know, I, I scored the fight. You know, a four to triple G the first uh, time around. But you know, uh, th there were time. There there were a lot of times in there in that fight where triple G just didn't. You know, he just didn't uh, capitalize. Um, and, and going after Canelo when when he was right there to be you know to be picked apart. So. Um, you know, Canelo took advantage at times, especially towards the beginning of the fight and, and towards the end of the fight as well. Uh, you know, and, and I was surprised at, you know, the fact that Triple G didn't throw enough uh, body punches as well, too. Um, I think that played a big factor in, into, um, into the scorecards as well, uh, because it, it gave Canelo uh, a second win towards the end of the fight. That's true. I think um, Triple G should have thrown, um, should have thrown more body punches. Um, but I think at the same time, I think it was I think it was all in the game plan for Triple G, because Canelo and his team were probably studying like, oh, Canelo, Triple G goes to the body. That's his number thing is go to the body. So when um, you block a punch to the body, what do you naturally do? You counter up top, and Triple G didn't do that. So that kind of threw Canelo off. Like, wow, he's not actually going to the body. So Canelo had to adjust, mm -hmm. and I think that that threw Canelo off. And uh, what threw Triple G off was that Canelo was still able to, um, you know, land several right hands. And, um, you know, Canelo threw 200 less punches. A part of that has to do with his hand. He did injure his hand, um, you know, during training camp. That's why he was wearing the winning gloves. A lot of people were uh, questioning about that. Um, but, yeah, his hand specialist is also there. So that kind of gave us, uh, you know, more of an indication that he had suffered some sort of injury. Uh, Triple G came into the fight a little bit out of shape, I think. If you go back to the first public workout in LA Live, he looked a little bit, you know, had a little bit of fat hanging hanging from the side. So he spent a lot of time in training camp trying to get in shape rather than training for the fight. I think that kind of took something away from him. And I think Canelo was a little dehydrated too. So I think both fighters are going to come in in better shape. I think both fighters have seen each other. Obviously, they've seen each other already. I think it's going to be a more violent rematch for sure, but I think it's going to be the same. I think it's going to be pretty much the same outcome. I think Triple G is going to, um, you know, outpoint Canelo, but of course the judges, 
are going to ultimately decide. But if Triple J can knock Canelo down, if he can get in there and um, knock Canelo down, that could be the that could decide the fight. But as we've seen, there's always one judge, always one, always one that always has a really weird scorecard when Canelo's in the ring. Nothing against Canelo, it just happens. <laughs> no, it does. It happens. The, fight, the Trout fight. And people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't mind that uh, one judge had it 11 to 1 for Canelo over Cotto. I'm like, I mind. I mean, I had Canelo winning, but it wasn't 11 to 1, I'll tell you that much. And not to mention the the generous 114-114 scorecard he got over Floyd Mayweather as well. I had that fight 12 to 0 for Mayweather. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's Vegas judging and, and judging all around the United States, you know, that's just... That's just how it is, and and it's a shame for the sport because you know some, you know we just you know some of these fighters really deserve the wins, and and unfortunately you know we have you know judges like Adley Bird who you know come up with a ridiculous scorecard like uh you know like that. So um, I'll tell you a funny story. I knew we I knew that uh, we we were going to be in trouble on Saturday the night before because some of us went to the Friday night fights the MGM Grand. Uh, hosted by Golden Boy, huh, ironically, uh, the ESPN Unboxing, Adelaide Bird is one of the judges, and this was apparently a rematch. I've never heard of these fighters before. A uh, bunch of journeymen. They went at it, and it was clear that this that, that this fight was even. You know, every fight was even. Okay, and all of us, most of us ringside had it a draw. Adelaide Bird scored a 6 nothing for whoever, the, other, the guy that won. I forget his name. It really wasn't, you know, a fight that really, um, you know, caught my interest, but I had a draw and Adelaide Bird had a six nothing and I looked at whoever was next to me and I told him, you know, in a pro and you know a few cuss words came out. I'm like, we're in trouble tomorrow. And I was just like, the she is gonna mess things up tomorrow. And I, I just had a feeling and guess what? I was right. <laughs> you you know it's bad when um you have UFC commentators and I just saw this this morning uh, from a UFC fight pass card where you know these UFC commentators are here talking about Adelaide Bird, and you know it's 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 a shame that it's it's gone to that point, but you know it, it it's just something you know. I don't know what you can you can fix with this. I don't know if you should just um you know just hire younger you know younger people you know fresher eyes to watch some of these fights. Um, I've always thought like maybe they should you know some of these judges should have you know maybe a, a monitor you know in front of them in in the ring to to have like a better a, a different view of the fight because you know I know sitting ringside it's it's you know you you're not able to get all the you know the appropriate angles in, in some of the in, in the fight and you know it, sometimes you can't tell you know who's landing landing the you know the more effective punches and so forth um so that's why I I feel like maybe having a, a monitor in front of them you know like a, a TV monitor with with no with no sound obviously could could be you know benefits with some of these judges um but but you know this is 2018 you know technology is is improving so you know hopefully you know they, they find a you know not a, a it may not be a, a you know a solution but you know something that could you know help at least shows that you know some of these uh you know some of these uh promoters and stuff you know care you know to try to you know have these changes and so forth 
And uh, of course, that was at the Canelo Triple G fight, you know, working for FightNights.com. And thankfully, I didn't get a ringside seat. I had a, a, an over-the-head ring, like a media seat, which I was okay with because when you're actually, you know, ringside, you can't see much. It's like, hard sitting in front of you. It's, it's hard to see. It's hard to so see. I was really happy getting that. I was really happy to see the entire ring. I was sitting with some uh, cool guys. I chatted with Eric Morales before the fight. That was awesome. Okay. Um, guys are stark. He's a class, classy guy. You can't, you can't even tell he was a fighter now. Uh, just the way he, he's uh, just so respectful. And he's he's a kid, man. I mean, he's a kid at heart. He loves the sport. And, you know, we talked about it. He had Canelo up. I think he had Canelo winning 7-5, which, you know, uh, you can you can say it went either way. I think there was a few close rounds. Um, of course, I had a day four for Triple G, but the way I watched the fight, and I knew Mexican Independence Day, it's going to be loud as hell. So I just, I just stood there. I just stayed. I just paid attention to the ring. Just ignored the crowd. Just kept my eyes wide and open throughout the fight. Ignored. You, I just watched the fight really closely. You hear the crowd. I was like, okay, Canelo, Canelo throws, throws a flurry. He missed all those punches. Crowd goes crazy. Don't let that bother you. Yeah. Just keep watching. And, and I had an eight four for Triple G. Yeah. So. And, and that's how. And that's how you're supposed to, you know, score, you know, fights and. You know, sometimes, you know, when people score fights, you know, and, and you know, you tell, you you know, you put it on social media and you, and you tell them how you have it. And, you know, people want to call you biased sometimes because they feel like you're, 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 you're just listening to, you know, the announcers on TV. And it's like, you know, not, not really, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the fight and whatever they say, you know, either I, I'll either agree or I don't agree. And if, you know, if. If Mario Ronaldo says that, you know, someone uh, landed a punch or if Jim Lampley says, you know, that somebody landed a hard punch and if I didn't see them land a hard punch, you know, I'm not going to score that as a, as a landing blow, you know, despite what, you know, they may think they saw, you know. So it, it's really all up to the person, you know, whoever's, wa you know, watching the fight as well too, to tune out uh, any type of feedback as well while, while, you're, while you're scoring a fight. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Mar Mauro calling uh, Vladimir Klitschko Vladimir Klatschko last night. That was uh, <laughs> that was a uh, Yeah, he's definitely a, he's definitely a character. Um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much all the time we have. Um, like I said, I'll be uh, I'll be out next week um, on vacation. Uh, but when we come back, we'll, we'll go ahead and review all these fights coming up and then we'll preview uh joshua parker which should be a, a pretty good fight absolutely thanks for having me on man all right no problem until the next time ryan all right see you man all right bye